Chapter 12 of The Defiant Agents This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by R.J. Davis The Defiant Agents by Andre Norton Chapter 12 Travis had taken a direct cross route through the heights but not swiftly enough to reach his objective before nightfall, and he had no wish to enter the tower valley by moonlight. In him two emotions now warred. There was the urge to invade the towers, to discover their secret, and flaring higher and higher the beginnings of a new fear. Was he now a battlefield for the superstitions of his race, reborn by the Redax, and his modern education, in the Pendeliculi world, half Apache brave of the past, half modern archaeologist with a thirst for knowledge, or was the fear rooted more deeply and for another reason? Travis crouched in a hollow, trying to understand what he felt. Why was it suddenly so overwhelmingly important for him to investigate the towers? If he only had the coyotes with him, why and where they had gone, he was alive to every noise out of the night, every scent the wind carried to him. The night had its own life, just as the daylight hours held theirs. Only a few of those sounds could he identify. Even less did he see. There was one wide-winged huge flying thing which passed across the green-gold plate of the nearer moon. It was so large that for an instant Travis believed the helicopter had come. Then the wings flapped, breaking the glide, and the creature merged in the shadows of the night, a hunter large enough to be a serious threat, and one he had never seen before. Relying on his own small defense, the stewing of brittle sticks around the only approach to the hollow, Travis dozed at intervals, his head down on his forearm across his bent knees. But the cold cramped him, and he was glad to see the graying sky of pre-dawn. He swallowed two ration tablets and a couple of mouthfuls of water from his canteen and started on. By sunup he had reached the ledge of the waterfall, and he hurried along the ancient road at a pace which increased to a run the closer he drew to the valley. Deliberately he slowed, his native caution now in control, so that he was walking as he passed through the gateway into the swirling mist which alternately exposed and veiled the towers. There was no change in the scene from the time he had come here with Cadessa, but now rising from a comfortable sprawl on the yellow and green pavement was a welcoming committee. Nalikia Dayu and Najinta showing no more excitement at his coming than if they had parted only moments before. Travis went down on one knee holding out his hand to the female, who had always been the more friendly. She advanced a step or two, touched a cold nose to his knuckles, and whined. Why? he voiced that one word, but behind it was a long list of questions. Why had they left him? Why were they here where there was no hunting? Why did they meet him now as if they had calmly expected his return? Travis glanced from the animals to the towers those windows set in diamond pattern, and again he was visited by the impression that he was under observation. 
with the mist floating across those openings, it would be easy for a lurker to watch him unseen. He walked slowly on into the valley, his moccasins making no sound on the pavement, but he could hear the faint click of the coyote's claws as they paced beside him on each hand. The sun did not penetrate here, making merely a gilt fog of the mist. As he approached within tusting distance of the first tower, it seemed to Travis that the mist was curling about him. He could no longer see the archway through which he had entered the valley. Nainjane, slayer of monsters, give strength to the bow arm, to the knife wrist. Out of what long buried memory did that ancient plea come? Travis was hardly aware of the sense of the words until he spoke them aloud. You who wait, Cheyenne day to die an Apache is not food for you. I am fox of the Itkatskudendayu, the Eagle People, and besides me walk Gaians of power. Travis blinked and shook his head as one waking. Why had he spoken so, using words and phrases which were not part of any modern speech? He moved on around the base of the first tower to find no door no break in its surface below the second-story windows, to the next structure and the next until he had encircled all three. If he were to enter any, he must find a way of reaching the lowest windows. On he went to the other opening of the valley, the one which gave upon the territory of the Tartar camp. But he did not sight any of the Mongols as he hacked down a sapling, trimmed and smoothed it into a blunt-pointed lance. His scythe belt, torn into even strips and knotted together, gave him a rope which he judged would be barely long enough for his purpose. Then Travis made a chancy cast for the lower window of the nearest tower. On the second try the lance slipped in, and he gave a quick jerk, jamming the lance as a bar across the opening. It was a frail ladder, but the best he could improvise. He climbed until the sill of the window was within reach, and he could pull himself up and over. The sill was a wide one, at least a twenty-four-inch span between the inner and outer surface of the tower. Travis sat there for a minute, reluctant to enter. Near the end of his dangling scarf rope, the two coyotes lay on the pavement, their heads up, their tongues lolling from their mouths, their expression ones of detached interest. Perhaps it was the width of the outer wall that subdued the amount of light in the room. The chamber was circular, and directly opposite him was a second window, the lowest of the matching diamond pattern. He took the four-foot drop from the sill to the floor, but lingered in the light as he surveyed every inch of the room. There were no furnishings at all, but in the very center sank a well of darkness, a smooth pillar glowing faintly rose from its core. Travis's adjusting eyes noted how the light came in small ripples, green and purple, over a fountain shade of dark blue. The pillar seemed rooted below, and it extended up through a similar opening in the ceiling, save for climbing from window to window outside. Travis moved slowly to the well. Underfoot was a smooth surface overlaid with a velvet carpet of dust which arose in languid puffs as he walked. Here and there he sighted prints in the dust, strange triangular wedges 
which he thought might possibly have been made by the claws of birds. But there were no other footprints. This tower had been undisturbed for a long, long time. He came to the well and looked down. There was dark there, dark in which the pulsations of light from the pillar shone the stronger. But that glow did not extend beyond the edge of the well through which the thick rod threaded. Even by close examination he could detect no break in the smooth surface of the pillar, nothing remotely resembling hand or footholds. If it did serve the purpose of a staircase, there were no threads. At last Travis put out his hand to touch the surface of the pillar, and then he jerked back. To no effect. There was no breaking contact between his fingers and an unknown material which had the sleekness of polished metal, but, and the thought made it slightly queasy, the warmth and very slight give of flesh. He summoned all his strength to pull free and could not. Not only did that hold grip him, but his other hand and arm were being drawn to join the first. Inside Travis, primitive fears awoke full force, and he threw back his head, voicing a cry of panic as wild as that of a hunting beast. An instant later his left palm was as tight a prisoner as his right, and with both hands so held his whole body was suddenly snapped forward off the safe foundation of the floor tight to the pillar. In this position he was sucked down into the well, and while unable to free himself from the pillar he did slip along its length easily enough. Travis shut his eyes in an involuntary protest against this weird form of capture and a shiver ran through his body as he continued to descend. After the first shock had subsided, the Apache realized that he was not truly falling at all. Had the pillar been horizontal instead of vertical, he would have gauged its speed that of a walk. He passed through two more room enclosures. He must already be below the level of the valley floor outside, and he was still a prisoner of the pillar, now in total darkness. His feet came down against a level surface, and he guessed he must have reached the end. Again he pulled back, arching his shoulders in a final desperate attempt at escape, and stumbled away as he was released. He came up sideways against a wall and stood there panting. The light, which might have come from the pillar, but which seemed more a part of the very air, was bright enough to reveal that he was in a corridor running into greater dark, both right and left. Travis took two strides back to the pillar, fitted his palms once again to its surface, with no result. This time his flesh did not adhere, and there was no possible way for him to climb that slick pole. He could only hope that at some point the corridor would give him access to the surface. But which way to go? At last he chose the right-hand path and started along it pausing every few steps to listen. But there was no sound except the soft pad of his own feet. The air was fresh enough, and he thought he could detect a faint current coming toward him from some point ahead, perhaps an exit. Instead he came into a room, and a small gasp of astonishment was wrung out of him. The walls were blank, covered with some ripples of blue-purple-green light which colored the pillar. Just before him was a table, and behind it a bench, both carved from the native yellow-red mountain rock. 
and there was no exit except the doorway in which he now stood. Travis walked to the bench, immovable. It was placed so that whoever sat there must face the opposite wall of the chamber with the table before him. And on the table was an object Travis recognized immediately from his voyage in the alien starship. One of the reader viewers through which the involuntary explorers had learned what little they knew of the older galactic civilization. A reader, and beside it a box of tapes. Travis touched the edge of that box gingerly, half expecting it to crumble into nothingness. This was a place long deserted. Stone table, bench, the towers could survive through centuries of abandonment. But these other objects? The substance of the reader was firm under the film of dust. There was less dust here than had been in the upper tower chamber. Hardly knowing why, Travis threw one leg over the bench and sat down behind the table, the reader before him, the box of tapes just beyond his hand. He surveyed the walls and then looked away hurriedly. The rippling colors caught at his eyes. He had a feeling that if he watched that ebb and flow too long, he would be captured in some subtle web of enchantment just as the Red's machine had caught and held the totters. He turned his attention to the reader. It was, he believed, much like the one they had used on the ship. The room, table, bench had all been designed with a set purpose, and that purpose, Travis's fingers rested on the box of tapes he could not yet bring himself to open. That purpose was to use the reader. He would swear to that. Tapes so left must have had a great importance for those who left them. It was as if the whole valley was a trap to channel a stranger into this underground chamber. Travis snapped open the box, fed the first disc into the reader, and applied his eyes to the vision tube at its apex. The rippling walls looked just the same when he looked up once more, but the cramp in his muscles told Travis that time had passed perhaps hours instead of minutes, since he had taken out the first disc. He cupped his hands over his eyes and tried to think clearly. There had been sheets of meaningless symbol writing, but also there had been many clear three-dimensional pictures accompanied by a sing-song commentary in an alien tongue, seemingly voiced out of thin air. He had been stuffed with ragged bits and patches of information to be connected only by guesses, and some wild guesses, too. But this much he did know. These towers had been built by the ball spacemen, and they were highly important to that vanished stellar civilization. The information in this room, as disjointed as it had been for him, led to a treasure trove on Topaz, greater than he had dreamed. Travis swayed on the bench, to know so much and yet so little. If Ash were only here, or some other of the project technicians. A treasure such as Pandora's box had been, parallel for one who opened it and did not understand. The Apache studied the three walls of the blue, purple, green in turn, and with new attention. There were ways through those walls. He was fairly sure he could unlock at least one of them. But not now, certainly not now. And there was another thing he knew. The Reds must not find this. 
Such a discovery on their part would not only mean the end of his own people on Topaz, but the end of Terra as well. This could be a new and alien black death spread to destroy whole nations at a time. If he could, much as his archaeologist training would argue against it, he would blot out this whole valley above and below ground. But while the Reds might possess a means of such destruction, the Apaches did not. No, he and his people must prevent its discovery by the enemy by doing what he had seen as necessary from the first, wiping out the Red leaders. And that must be done before they chanced upon the towers. Travis arose stiffly. His eyes ached, his head felt stuffed with pictures, hints, speculations. He wanted to get out, back into the open air, where perhaps the clean winds of the heights would blow some of this frightening half-knowledge from his benumbed mind. He lurched down the corridor, puzzled now by the problem of getting back to the window level. Here before him was a pillar, without hope, but still obeying some buried instinct. Travis again set his hands to its surface. There was a tug at his cramped arms. Once more his body was sucked to the pillar. This time he was rising. He held his breath past the first level and then relaxed. The principle of this weird form of transportation was entirely beyond his understanding. But as long as it worked in reverse, he didn't care to find out. He reached the window chamber, but the sunlight had left it instead the clean cut of moon sweep lay on the dusty floor. He must have been hours in that underground place. Travis pulled away from the embrace of the pillar. The bar of his wooden lance was still across the window, and he ran for it. To catch the scouting party at the pass, he must hurry. The report they would make to the clan now had to be changed radically in the face of his new discoveries. The Apaches dared not retreat southward and withdraw from the fight, leaving the Reds to use what treasure lay here. As he hit the pavement below, he looked about for the coyotes. Then he tried to mind call, but as mysterious as they had met him in the valley, so now were they gone again, and Travis had no time to hunt for them. With a sigh, he began his race to the past. In the old days, Travis remembered, Apache warriors had been able to cover forty-five or fifty miles a day on foot and over rough territory, for perhaps his modern breeding had slowed him. He had been so sure he could catch up before the others were through the pass, but he stood now in the hollow where they had camped, read the sign of overturned stone and bent twig left for him, and knew they would reach the ranchera and report the decision to Kay and the others wanted before he could head them off. Travis slogged on. He was so tired now that only the drug from the substance tablets he mouthed at intervals kept him going at a dogged pace, hardly more than a swift walk. And always his mind was haunted by fragments of pictures, pictures he had seen in the reader. The big bomb had been the nightmare of his own world for so long and what was that against the forces the ball star rovers had been able to command? He fell beside a stream and slept. There was sunshine about him as he rose to stagger on. What day was this? How long had he sat in the tower chamber? He was not sure of time any more. 
He only knew that he must reach the ranchera, tell his story, somehow win over Declay and the other reactionaries to prove the necessity for invading the north in force. A rocky point, which was a familiar landmark, came into focus. He padded on, his chest heaving, his breath whistling through parched, sun-cracked lips. He did not know that his face was now a mask of driven resolution. Ha! The cry reached his dulled ears. Travis lifted his head, saw the men before him, and tried to think what that show of weapons turned toward him could mean. A stone thudded to earth only inches before his feet, to be followed by another. He wavered to a stop. Nayikchat! Witch? Where was a witch? Travis shook his head. There was no witch. Dinelikikada! The old death threat. But why? For whom? Another stone, this one hitting him in the ribs with force enough to send him reeling back and down. He tried to get up again, saw Declay grin widely and take aim, and at last Travis realized what was happening. Then there was a bursting pain in his head and he was falling, falling into a well of black, this time with no pillar of blue to guide him. This concludes the reading of Chapter 12.